Lord, you are good, and you're always good. It, it says all good things come from you, Lord. Joy in the time of funeral or, or dedication to the person. And Lord, because you changed their life, you bring them to your, to your home, and they are finally at home. Uh, Lord God, uh, this time that we're looking at Matthew, play, pray that all of our hearts would be settled in Christ Jesus. In your name, amen. Speaking of becoming a new Christian, when I first became a Christian is a few things I didn't know exactly how Christians, how they did the practice of these various things. And so I, I needed to learn. So I asked someone, uh, one of the first questions is, how do you properly pray? I don't know how to pray. I mean, I knew as a Roman Catholic, <clears throat> and I get my beads out, and I do the rosary and all of that kind of stuff, but I still didn't know how to pray, and I knew that that was wrong. In the last two weeks, we've been hearing from Jesus, and Jesus has given us a pretty clear picture. He's given us really the, the best lesson you can, but when I first became a Christian, I was told to pray acts. And I looked at him cross-eyed, of course, and said, what does that mean? And so he laid it out, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. That helped me a lot to be able to put things in order for myself, is that I start out with the idea of adoration. I need to worship God. That's the most important thing. That's why I come there, is to worship Him. Not to get things, but to worship Him. It's a time of worshiping the God of creation. It's a time of, of worshiping the God of salvation. I want to be able to exalt His name and, and do it with as clear a heart as I possibly can. The works that He's done to bring me to salvation. Some of you have incredible testimonies of what God has done to bring you to himself. And, and you'd say, but there's no road. I, I can remember John MacArthur saying this once, there's no road death to life. There's no road that you can pave. There's nothing that you can prepare. There's nothing that you can lay down. It is getting the gift of faith and the gift of grace from God. And so I want to adore him for that. I have to adore him for that. My whole body, mind, and heart wants to do that. I want to be praising his name forever and ever because I don't deserve what he's going to give me. And so we have been looking at the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. And we've been learning about praising his name. And that's, that's the one thing that we have to do is hallow his name, is uplift his name. The next was cherishing his kingdom. Because we are in the kingdom, if you remember we said this last week, but we're going to be in a better kingdom. We're in his kingdom to some degree, but we're going to be in a much better kingdom when we go home to be with the Lord. And then we want to be, make sure that we're assenting to his will, what his will is for our life. And be able to say, okay, that's what the Lord has for me. That's obviously what he wants me to do. Embrace. That's what he wants me to do. He wants me to live this particular challenge or whatever it is that he's given to me. I don't normally do this, but I want to give you a, um, a quote from R.C. Sproul. When I say I don't normally do this, not in the, in the uh, prelude to the message. But R.C. Sproul said this, quote, I've noticed over many years that as we grow in <clears throat> the discipline and in the delight of prayer, it seems that we are naturally we naturally spend more and more time on this element of prayer adoration you see because you realize how unworthy you are to get anything you just want to spend your time adoring him 
and thanking him for the works that he's done in your life. That's where we need to spend our time when we get on our knees is to be adoring him and thanking him for all that you have. Now, another side that uh, while this passage we are studying is giving instruction on prayer, it doesn't give everything on prayer. And then one of those things, the subject of thanksgiving, you don't see that necessarily clearly in the Lord's Prayer. We don't see that. But I believe that that's part of what we need to be praying. So your baby just died in your womb. You give thanks? Yeah. You give thanks for every anxiety, every tragedy, every situation. I I said that to a woman once who was with her nurse who came in from the hospital over here, the children's hospital, healthy baby, and the baby died. I said, I don't know what God did there. I know why God did it. I mean, does anybody here know? Of course not. And I said, but this I can trust. My God says to give thanks for that. Because his plan, no matter what that plan is, is perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no mistake in his plan. And so I need to embrace that. And, and you know, I, I took the lady to Philippians chapter 4. Why don't you just turn there? And again, I, I'm going to other scriptures before I get to Matthew. But Philippians chapter 4, Paul's speaking there about this subject of anxiety. We're going to get to that in a few weeks when I come back um, uh, to teach. And, and uh, it's um, about anxiety And I think that particular prayer is extremely helpful. Paul says this, be anxious for... What? It says nothing in your Bible? You sure there is? You mean the the burnt uh, bagels this morning or something else? Or you turned the wrong way on the way to church? Or you forgot your Bible at home? Be anxious for nothing. To me, that's 100%. I'm not going to get anxious over uh, uh, anything, but in everything, in everything, what, whatever that everything is, and you, all of our lives are different, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So I, I'm sitting across the table in my office from this poor lady, and I'm saying, this is what the Bible says, not Bill Shannon. This is what God says. Be thankful. I said, I could give you a whole list of things that could happen to your child if this one particular child was born, okay? Could turn out like Esau, could turn out like a whole bunch of, you know, uh, other people. But that's what God, this is what has to happen. This is what should happen. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We thank him for it. We, we praise him for it because he knows that, number one, we can handle it. Number two, he knows that we will grow because of it. So we're thankful for it. Yes, it's a challenge. Yes, it's a difficulty, but we will grow through it. Folks, even though, and even through those difficult, troubled-filled times, be thankful. Be thankful. I remember the earthquake 1994. Some of you weren't even born yet. 1994. The house was rattled. The back wall of my house went out about three inches, two inches, whatever. And I'm thinking, I'm going to lose the the house, you know? Uh, The uh, cement tile roof that I had, the guy who put the roof on, oh, this will be here for 50 years. Well, guess where it was? It was still there, but it was around the house, not on the roof. Okay? 
the toilets didn't like sitting there anymore. They came over, you know, and water is spilling out, you know. My front porch, okay, when we do summers in, in uh, the Shannon in the summers, and you can come over, has three posts. Two of them are gone. I got one there. I go, wait a minute, that's going to come down. My wife goes out to the car and sits in the car in the driveway. And I'm just trying to put the fires out, so to speak. No fire, you know, just shut the water off and do this and do that and all kinds of things that, you know, we try to prevent things. I was giving thanks to God. You know why? Because I needed new furniture anyway. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. You, you look at that and you go, how can you give thanks? You know what I gave thanks in January? In October, I was asked if I wanted to do my insurance for... Um, another year, and I was saying to my wife, I, we really don't have this money. I, I don't know that I want to do this again. And I got to pay this bill for the earthquake insurance. And guess what I did? I paid it. So I had the insurance to take care of the redoing of the house. I don't know why God had me pay that bill back there, because I really didn't have the money. But he had me pay it. God is perfect in all that he does. If I get an illness, that means there's something else that he doesn't want me to have. And so here, as we approach this Lord's Prayer, this Disciples' Prayer, today we're going to look at the human part of it, not the the part of the adoration. Although I, I really, truly do miss going through that, because as I've had to study it, it has given us to do that. But now we're going to approach you. The the person who's sitting there saying the prayer, he's now going to start praying for himself and maybe even for us as as a whole. And so I know that I can't do anything about earthquakes or tsunamis, as we were joking there, or volcanoes. But I know this, I can trust my Lord, no matter what it is. So let's read the passage And I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, not reading from the top there, but in verse 9. And it says, Jesus says this, he says, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've already looked at that, wonderful. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Verse 14, for if you forgive others for their transgression, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. One of those words that I I know in the scriptures that is so potent, so important for all of us, Married, unmarried, young, old, doesn't matter. Forgiveness. We're going we're to talk about it this week. And next week I'm going to do a special just on forgiveness. Because people don't even understand how to give forgiveness, why to give forgiveness. Well, what does it mean when you give forgiveness? What does reconciliation look like? All of those kinds of things. People are ignorant about those things. And so I want to go through that in addition to what we're doing here. So in this passage today... Jesus has given us, is going to give us six petitions. He's given us three already. He says, our Father, hallowed be your name. Our Father, your kingdom come. Our Father, your will be done. We've already looked at those. If you need to, if you haven't been here, go and listen to that. I I don't know. My heart is enriched when I um, 
study it for sure. Now, the second three petitions have to do with needs and necessities. Notice what I'm saying, needs and necessities. These petitions are dealing with the essentials of man, both his physical and his spiritual. That's what he's going to be talking about here, both spiritual and physical. We are instructed, first of all, to ask for bread, which is the maintenance of life. That bread you need. Second, you're also asked or told to ask for forgiveness, to deal with your past sin, to deal with your current sin, is to help for future temptation. And so here's petition number four. And I'm, I like to put it in the, in the way that Jesus has. Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. In this world today, we don't have too much of that need and necessity for daily bread. But I've been to India. I see people starving on the street. I know there are people starving on the street. They got a cow walking by and they still are starving on the street. That's the sad part about it. But in ancient world, it was different. The worship and the exaltation of God is now replaced with a human focus here, folks. Here is a desire, and I'm going to call this a collective need and a personal need. Because there's a collective need here. It says, give us. That's the collective prayer. Demonstrating that we need God to provide for us. To intervene in our food provision. Whether this means bread for today or bread for tomorrow, it doesn't really matter. It's the daily bread that you need. See, if you say this prayer early in the morning, you need the bread that day. If you say it late at night, you need it the next day. That's what I'm just pointing out. It's give us this day our daily bread. It's just for that one day's need. What is being prayed for here is what is necessary and what is sufficient. You see, we serve a gracious and a, and a giving God for sure. Without a doubt. We know from scripture that everything comes from his merciful hand. James chapter 1 verse 17 says this. 1 verse 17 it says this. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the father of lights. Every good trial is included in that folks. You say but a trial isn't a good thing. No it is. Makes you stronger. Spiritually. Makes you stronger in your faith for that trial. After praying, our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, Folks, uh, don't sit down on your bed. Don't sit down in your easy chair saying, I prayed it, why don't I get it? That's not what this says. I got to tell you, in the church, sometimes you deal with people who are lazy. None of you are, but uh, you sometimes do (laughs) deal with folks that are lazy. The expectation is that you'll go out, you'll be, take the strength that God has given you and go to work and earn it or the country to take care of you, but you'll go out and you'll get a job. Paul is extremely, and I, I do want to take a little bit of diversion here. You're going to take this um, tour bus. I'm going to take and show you something on the side here. Second Thessalonians, would you turn there with me? Paul makes this ever, ever so clear that, yes, you pray for the bread. Yeah, you need the bread, but 
At the same time, you go and do something about it. You don't just sit there and wait, well, where's the bread? You know, the manna's not coming today. I wonder why. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, it says this. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. Now we command you, <laughs> command, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to which you receive from us. What is that? For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. He didn't take, oh, I'm just going to live off these other people. Oh, I'm apostle here. Don't I get the, to have dinner at the, the Sanders and the Lehman's and the Hargroves? Yeah, I should be able to go eat there. No. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Folks, this is the church of Jesus Christ. No one should try to become a burden to the church. It happens on occasion because of it. And, and we can't answer for that, but the church is going to help. But we should not want to be a burden to the church or to anyone that's in the church. We did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship. Verse 9, not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Great prayer. Great to keep in mind. But go do something about it. Go do something about it. Verse 11, for we hear that someone among you, some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busy. I almost look at our society today where companies can't get people to work. I mean, they're giving them signing bonuses. Signing bonuses. What in the world is that? To come and work for them. Because people are too busy being busy buddies. They're getting enough money from the government that they can sit at home and they probably are not praying, Our Father, who is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. They're probably not. They're saying, Our government, who is in Washington, D.C. <laughs> that's, that's a convoluted prayer. <laughs> give us this day our daily bread. Friends, it is from God that we receive our sustenance. You may say, but you know, I go to Albertsons, and I go to Vaughn's, and I go to Gelson. Yes, you, you, you do need to get up from your bed. You do need to go out and work. But you know, I know exactly where you get the strength to do that. Do you know where you get the strength? Deuteronomy 8.18. Deuteronomy 8.18. You see, you need the strength to go up and get out and go to work. And there's all kinds of jobs working. My son-in-law, who's uh, in insurance, hasn't had to leave his house in two years now. Almost two years. In March, it'll be two years. 
doesn't have to leave his house because he can do everything on the computer. I don't know that kind of job. Okay, he just you know just does it on the computer, and people answer him, and all of that kind of stuff, and he then answers his bosses and all that, and he gets paid to sit at home and not even drive his car to get to work. I'm not jealous much, <laughs> but. Deuteronomy 8.18, you shall remember Yahweh your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth. He gives you the strength to make wealth. It's a gift from God to be able to do that. And so he gives that to you. So the implication in this prayer, and there is an implication here, folks, that they're praying for their daily bread. And they do it daily. You know why? Because they didn't have cupboards at home full of food. Okay? They didn't have preservatives. They didn't have a refrigerator. They had to get it daily. Okay? It was something that they went down to get. It was, there was no excess food around. You know, a, a little boy comes in and says to his dad, I'm hungry. You know, go kill the lamb. Bring it in. I mean, that's what it was. Or whatever other animal. And I don't want to start picking on my favorite animals. But you just go out there and bring it in. We'll eat it. You know, when I first used to go overseas, this is years ago. And I'd be staying at one of our missionaries' homes. And I'd be getting up early in the morning. And you know what I would see? Is the couple of the folks would be going out. And they would be going to get the daily bread. You know Why? They didn't use preservatives. This bread was mucho good. <laughs> they, they didn't have it left over. And if they did have it left over, it went to the birds. Because it had no preservatives in it. That's what Israel was working with. They didn't have local bakeries in Israel. Most likely the, the, the wife in the household had to get up early and had to put everything together. so that they had, But they had to have the stuff to put it together. They had to have the grain. They had to have the flour, whatever else goes into making bread. I have no idea. I just like it. So there's no, no preservatives, no refrigeration, and they needed God's provision each and every day. Now, there's a man back in Proverbs. His name is Agur. So I'll turn back there to Proverbs chapter 30. And, and he has some wise, very wise words for us in this fourth petition to God. And in Proverbs chapter 30, starting in verse 7, he, he understands in his prayer to God, he says, there's two things I ask of you, God. There's two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Don't, don't have to put up with that. Don't keep it in my heart. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Now, some of you may not say, say that. I, I, I want riches because I want to do a lot of things. I mean, you know, I have a lot of plans. No, he says, no, neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. Just give me what I need to be sustained in my life. That I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I do not, uh, I, I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Just give me enough. Sustain me. 
the same me. Back in 1976, I think it was, before I was born. Um, there's a story about this woman who lived and, and she would go around begging for food all the time to her neighbors and she'd bring that food home. Do you know what she died of? Somebody didn't use the QR code. Some, something that she died of was starvation. Well, wait a minute. She's went to the neighbors to get food. She went to the stores to see if they had any food to give to her. When the authorities came in to look at her house, there was food everywhere. Cupboards. I mean, bathroom. I mean, the, 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 the shower. Everywhere there was food. But she never ate it. She had two bank accounts, and one of them, she had $600,000 cash. The other one, she had all kinds of stocks, bonds, and all kinds of other things, $200,000. She died of starvation, and she was a millionaire. Give me more, give me more, give me more. See, that's the heart of somebody who doesn't trust. He gives you enough. You need to be settled with that. When you start to to go out and get more, I need more. That's what Agar is saying there. Don't give me too much. Because if I get too much, I'm only going to want more. It's like Nelson Rockefeller, I think it was Nelson Rockefeller before he, when he died. He says, aren't you rich enough? Maybe it was his dad. He said, uh, no, just a little bit more. That's what he said just before he died. He was the wealthiest man in the United States at the time. Do you know how much he took to heaven with him? In a few weeks, we're going to tell you. <laughs> how do I know that? Because of the future passage that we, what he took with him. You see, folks, we have a daily need. We have a daily prayer. That keeps us dependent upon God. Luxuries are a temptation. That's what they are. They are a temptation to forget God. That's what they are if you get too much. Friends, could Jesus have been thinking about the time in the desert for the Hebrews and when the manna came? What did he tell them there? Take enough for the day. And he told them, gave them exactly how much to take. The person who took too much, they wound up having worms. Take enough for the day. We need a daily serving, each of us. But that's it. I think the current problem that we have with the supply chain, I go into some stores, and I don't go into stores very often, and I see empty toilet paper that's missing, okay? <laughs> some stores have shelves where things are missing. See, for me as a believer, so they don't have them. I'll, I'll get by. I'll, I'll work it out somehow that I don't need to have those things. God's in control. I don't have any concerns. Even when that toilet paper thing, which was a farce, went off, I didn't have any control. I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't worry. Why should you? God is the one who provides your daily needs. Every single one of them. Petition number five that we find here in the Lord's Prayer. Folks, now we're going to talk about the spiritual. And it says, Our Father 
Forgive us our debts, not speaking of financial, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Greatest spiritual need that any of us have. I hope you hear this. Today is Communion Sunday. I hope that on Communion Sunday especially, you have confessed your sin. You've, you've asked for your debts to be taken from you. This is where we have our greatest spiritual need. For without forgiveness of sin, you know what? There is no salvation. There is no salvation. Now, make sure you put this all in context here, folks. That if you can't forgive, you're not forgiven. I'm going to put it in context. There's no relationship with Jesus Christ. And there is no covering of your sin unless there is forgiveness. Yes, Jesus Christ went to the cross. But who does he apply that to? Because of sin, we are separated from God. We're dead. Ephesians 2 says that. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. We have no hope without the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, sin winds up controlling our thinking. And when I say controlling our thinking, and I'm going to put it in, in both terms as a, as a counselor, biblical counselor, not just the mind and what goes on up here, but the heart and what the heart desires. That's what sin does. The more sin, the more obliteration, okay, of godly desires and more towards sin. More towards the, 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 the worst of the worst. And, and when you get it, and there's no correction, then you want more of that because it doesn't satisfy. It never satisfies. Our greatest spiritual need is forgiveness. Is forgiveness over and over and over again. Without the forgiving of debts, ultimately we perish, and then we have an eternity separated from God. Paul said this, he, he gives a good understanding of this verse. He says, debts is a good word choice here. Because when the New Testament addresses sin, one of the main ways in which sin is described is a debt. When we sin, we ourselves we put ourselves into debt to God. We incur an obligation. We come to owe Him something. And even if you had one sin, you could not pay that price. You can't. When you think of your life, you know how many sins you have just even this morning. Even this morning you've had sins, things. This debt that we ourselves accumulate can never be paid by us. It's an impossibility. This debt continues to make us accumulate more sin. It piles up. And, and then what happens begins to enter into our mind and our heart. You think you have crazy people out on the street? No, you don't. You have guilt-ridden people out on the street. You, you have people that act really weird crazy they've lost their mind some people would say no they've got this guilt they don't know how to deal with it so they wind up out on the street people says you know you don't believe in in that you could lose your mind no i don't you want to hit them over the head and they you can lose your mind that way you want to take uh uh, alcohol and you want to drink yourself into a stupor you can lose your mind because you're killing all of those but that's all you can you can attribute it to. But some of these things, these folks are crazy because they have so much guilt on their heart. They don't know how to deal with it. Jesus Christ solves that problem. 
Jesus Christ solves that problem. This debt accumulates, accumulates, accumulates. This is where forgiveness of the debtor is necessary. What am I saying there? You have to forgive others. When I and I'm in the premarital class, I probably hit it at least once, but at least maybe even three times. Folks, you're going to get married. Do you know you have to forgive more than anybody else in this world? Except me, I didn't have to do that. <laughs> but you have to forgive those who you live with, the one that you're married to over and over and over and over. Learn that word. Make it precious to your own heart. God can provide the payment. Yes, he does through Jesus Christ. And he can only do, we can only have that grace because he's totally sinless. But let's look at the passage a little bit closer here. And it says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we also is an emphatic demonstration of the significance of that statement. The significance of that statement is that you are forgiving others. Forgiving others. Some people go through this life not forgiving others. And and I got to tell you, they're going to be hurt. They're going to be hurt tremendously. Be free with your forgiveness. I think I've told you the story a few years ago, a man came into the prayer room and he says, I, I've hated your guts for 15 years. I said, well, I forgive you, but who are you? <laughs> I'm serious. I had never met the man before in my life. And he told me that. You, no, I just hated your guts. Why? And I said, well, first of all, you don't need to ask me for forgiveness, does he? Because he didn't sin against me. He sinned against the holy God. Who knew that he had that in his heart? You ask forgiveness as far as it is known. I didn't know that he didn't. And, and, and I said, look, I, I forgive you. You're my brother. You know, we, I, I, matter of fact, embrace him. We got finished in the prayer room. You see, those seeking forgiveness must have, listen to this, those seeking forgiveness must have taken an action of forgiveness to others. They need to respect the other person and forgive them. But I I don't know that they really mean it. It's not up to you. It's not up to you. It's up to God. You don't have to go through a cross-examination to find out if they're really, truly wanting forgiveness. That's not what you're there for. Forgive them. And I'm going to take you next week and to show you some passages where the apostles, apostles thought it was impossible. And they just said, this is, this is too difficult for us. That's what they said. You see, I want you to understand this, and this is very important to understand this. Please understand, you do not receive forgiveness because you are granting forgiveness. At the same time, you do not receive forgiveness without forgiving others. That's what it's about. It's not an act that you do to get forgiveness from God. It is that you don't get forgiveness if you don't do it. If you don't do it. Now, now let's say you're married to somebody who doesn't recognize their sin. Forgive them anyway with a heart of forgiveness. That's what you do. And we'll talk about that tomorrow. Uh, next week. Matthew chapter 18 tomorrow. 
Yeah, they used to have church every day, I know. <laughs> Matthew chapter 18, yeah, yahoo. <laughs> Matthew chapter 18, you need to turn there. We're going to look at that for a little bit. Matthew 18, verse 21. Obviously, it's Jesus speaking and uh, or interchange with Peter as well. But um, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Peter is really being generous here. Seven times. Do you know that it was once and then their relationship was over in the ancient world. You're dead. Up to seven times I got to forgive my brother. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77? In my book, that's 490 times. Do you think at the 491st you give up? No. No, because that's per day. (laughs) And not only that, but you see what Jesus is trying to do here. He's trying to show him that this is a perfect number, and it's extraordinary that you keep doing that. You know why? Because God does that. Now, I, verse 23, is, we're going to get started. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. It's given a parable here, something to compare here. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that they had and repayment to be made, obviously to him. So the slave, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And that's a a day's wages, I think. It's nothing compared to what he got um, released from. I'm sorry, it's a hundred days' work. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me. Same words. And I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. Oh, my goodness. Uncreaved and came to and reported to the Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt. By the way, his debt, one talent, was worth 15 years of work. Okay. 15 years. His Lord said, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger and handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly father will also do the same to you. If each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Again, these are the words of Jesus, not Bill Shannon. These are the words of Jesus, not Grace Community Church. Forgiveness is you need to be forgiving others. But you know, I got this problem. She's always sinning against me. That's what I hear from men in my counseling experience. 
I hear from the wife, but he's always sinning against me. Forgive. Forgive. I mean, there are some sins, you know, that will be treated and dealt with. Okay. But you forgive over and over and over again. You see, God's forgiveness was withdrawn in this parable when the one who was forgiven a great debt did not forgive that small debt. When I got saved and I was being discipled by this man, he was actually a pastor here at Grace Church. He says, have you seen anybody that you haven't dealt with? haven't talked to. And I, I mean, there were some things that I had done in my life. And so I started making phone calls. I started making, uh, we didn't have email in those days. Um, but I started making phone calls. I wrote a letter in one, play, in one particular situation, just seeking forgiveness for those things. I had that happen with a counselee that I had. He's on wife number three. He had come to faith in Christ, and, and he had all of these people that he had problems with, and that's what we started to do, send out letters, making phone calls, seeking forgiveness from them. I said, because not until you ask for that forgiveness can you be given that forgiveness, and if you're not forgiving them because you had that resentment against them in the first place, you've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. And folks, that's what relationships and, and that's even sometimes in a family you can ruin relationships. Make sure you deal with those issues as quickly as you possibly can. And if today, just before communion, you think of one, then maybe you don't take communion today, but you go and deal with that person. Maybe they're sitting right next to you. Take some time and, and, and ask them for forgiveness and make sure you tell them what it is that you sinned against them and how you sinned against them, what you're going to do to change it next time so it doesn't happen. God's forgiveness was withdrawn. Even those saved still need to have their debts forgiven daily. We, are, we need that continuous debt forgiving even after salvation. When, when my children were, were little, this is when they were still home, I told them, come to me. Tell me what you've done wrong, how you've sinned, whatever it is that you've done wrong before I discover it. If you do that, you receive grace there by coming to me. But if I have to discover it after the grace is gone and I've got to deal with it a different way, just what the passage that says you have to spank your children comes in play. Folks, go quickly. Settle those debts. While our Father in heaven knows your sin, he knows all of them. He knows even the thought, thin sins that you have. He wants you to come to him readily and quickly with your sin. Our Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What does God do with that sin? What does God do with that sin? You look at Psalm 103. I'm not going to have you turn. He says, he sends it as far as the east is from the west. Wait a minute. It can't get any, you can't get near there. If they're going from as far as the east is from the west. You see, your father has compassion on his children. He cares about his children. Yahweh loves with a great compassion. He sends them away 
Now, folks, when God removed your sin at salvation as far as the east is from the west, he sent it away. He still expects you to come to him each and every day with your new sin. Nehemiah, don't turn there. We don't have enough time, but I just want you to hear this. Nehemiah 9.17. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you see he's rich in loving kindness. You see that word loving kindness all over the place. It's that Hebrew word has said, and it's an abundance that he had forgiven Israel over and over and over and over again. But you know what, folks? In Jeremiah 3.8, he still divorced Israel because of their adulteries. He cut off the relationship. Yes, it's, they're going to be, come back, but he cut off the relationship. God forgives over and over. Therefore, I don't have to worry. You know, I can continue to go on with my iniquities. I, I can continue to look at the porn. I continue to steal from the store. I can continue to drive faster than 30 miles an hour. Nobody <laughs> drives 30 miles an hour. He forgives you over and over. While the Savior is willing to forgive and forgive, the disobedient believer will eventually find herself facing some kind of reprimand. He doesn't let it go. He doesn't let it go. Some kind of correction will come. You see, he even says in Hebrews 12, he spanks his children. That's what it says in Hebrews 12, because he loves them. He doesn't want them to continue to do that. The verse goes on. He says, our father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Have a heart of forgiveness. That's actually an indication of regenerate heart when you can forgive others. It tells others. You see, the one who can readily forgive an offense is the one who is merciful and trusting in his heavenly father. That's who he is. If someone comes to you and seeks forgiveness on a, on a matter, there should be instant forgiveness. Instant. But some say, I don't feel like it. Feelings have nothing to do with it, folks. It's really about obedience. Because that's what God has said. Forgive them. And I know some of you are going in your mind, but you don't know my situation. Can I tell you, after 30 years of counseling, I know your situation. I have heard it over and over and over from other people because they're representative of who and what you are. I don't feel like it. It has nothing to do with it. It is a matter of obedience. As this passage says here, forgive my sin as I have forgiven others. That's basically what it says. And if you're not forgiving... You're not forgiven. How that works out with God, I don't know. Look at Matthew 6.14. We'll skip over the the petition number 6. But Matthew 6.14 says this, For if you forgive for their transgression, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I mean, that's just another affirmation of what I've been saying here. But petition number 6, and I just got a little bit of time, it says, Our Father, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. First observation here, folks. you got to understand. God cannot and God does not lead us into temptation. It's an impossibility. I know that from James 1, 
Uh, let's turn there ever so quickly. James 1, 13 through 15. It says, let no one say when I, he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted uh, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when, sin, when lust is, has, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. It's, it's you. You're the problem. But why does it say that in the passage? Here's the problem, folks. Hopefully we can solve it for you today. It's the word temptation. In your mind, you've got this picture of what temptation is. You know, there's some money. I, I, I'm tempted to take it. This verb, okay, perizine, uh, is better translated test or maybe even trial rather than temptation. Temptation has the implication that there is an attempt to seduce the evil. That's the implication that you hear. 21 times this particular Greek word appears in the New Testament. I try to stay away from the Greek so I don't get you all uh, uh, upset or whatever. 20 of those times that word is translated trial, or it means, I'm sorry. It, uh, it's, it's like what God did to uh, Abraham. Remember in Genesis 22, he says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, and sacrifice them. That was a test. And that's what actually the word that in the Hebrew is there, it says test. Take them to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice them. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Are you serious? You mean the Holy Spirit is in cahoots with the devil to tempt Jesus? No, no. He was not tempted. It was a test, basically, to show. After 40 days of keeping himself from food, and what did he test him, and how did he win? Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. Folks, the temptations that we have, they come. The tests, basically, let's call them that, is to help you grow as a believer. That's what it's to do. It's, it's to grow you as a believer, to see your reliance upon God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Son, and God, the Father. To see your reliance upon the scriptures. That's what it's testing you to see. That trial is brought to grow you. 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man, but God is faithful and will make a way of escape. Could you imagine, even with that text, a way of escape so that you can get out of it. I, I always say to the guys and, and the gal, where's the escape hatch? Look for that. Tell me, do you have any escape hatches? Try, try to find them when you get there. What do you need to do? And depending upon the situation, he'll tell you what you need to do, obviously. He'll provide a way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. Why does he want you to endure? Because he wants to make you more and more and more and more faithful. He wants to grow you as a, as a Christian. He doesn't want you to stay in one level. It grows us. 
Temptation is there to, to strengthen us, strengthen our resolve. Am I truly his? I get some folks coming into the office sometimes, and they wonder if they're Christians. They've been here for 25 years. Why would you wonder if you're a Christian? You go to Sunday morning, Sunday evening, go to the fellowship group, maybe even the best one. <laughs> and you're wondering, well, because their sin keeps taking over, their sin keeps taking over, their sin keeps taking over. And they wonder, am I his? Am I his? So how do we fight that? Accountability is one way. We flee is another way. Memorize is another way. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Folks, uh, I hear people chattering outside, and which tells me something. I may have gone a little bit long. But you can see in these scriptures here, a lack of forgiveness does not find forgiveness. Please understand that. A lack of forgiveness does not find forgiveness. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I'm going to finish with this, and then I'm going to remind you of our outlaw. Prayer is not genuine if it is, it is not true. It is to no avail unless we find there is forgiveness in the heart. No matter what your prayers are. If you're not forgiving somebody else, then your prayers aren't genuine. And then he says at the end there, God give us grace to be honest with ourselves. God give me grace to be honest about myself and my genuineness. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you, Lord, for today. I want to thank you for your grace in my life. For the lives of those that I know around me, Lord God, continue to work in them, to will and to work your good pleasure. Lord, today as we go to communion, may we all pause for a moment and recognize that this is what Jesus Christ did for us going to the cross. And because of that, we can have this intimate, vibrant, genuine relationship with the, and the Lord of Lords, in whose name I pray. Amen.